What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, Ja Morant's, Joe Johnson's, Ja Raff's, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? You know, I will just forever wonder how we ended up in a world where we went from <laughs> midterm elections on a Tuesday to a U.S. Men's National Team World Cup roster being released on a Wednesday. That's just a lot of things for people to get angry about and a lot of <laughs> tension in a 48-hour span. I didn't put that together until a couple of days before. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, yeah, this is going to be a fun 48 hours because everybody's got strong feelings about everything with those two topics. <laughs> Can I be completely transparent <laughs> with you? Sure. I I have I, – you could give me the entire list of the U.S. – you could give me two lists and say one of them – pick which one is the men's – national team roster and i would i would pick one based on the based solely on the idea that i have a 50 percent chance of getting (laughs) that's the extent of my knowledge to be completely honest with you um to to humor you though why why are people mad on this particular thursday afternoon following a wednesday uh, a Wednesday release of the u.s men's national team it's nothing it's nothing in particular i mean there were some surprising inclusions and a surprising omission but it, it's just the idea it's one of those things people get worked up about because sure. everybody has their feelings about which players should be in and which players shouldn't just like you know everybody has the politicians they want to win and the politicians they want to lose it's just another very and of course it doesn't have the same overarching general impact because it's soccer and not you know politics but sure. just the idea of for people who follow soccer and care about that team that is the most contentious thing that's going to happen in, you know, the four years leading up to a World Cup is who is actually on that team. It all leads right. up to that moment. Just like all of the political discussion leads up to midterms and then presidential elections every two, you know, every two years when we have a big election. It was just funny to me that they went back to back. So if you weren't mm. worked up enough, enough about the politics, then you also have a World Cup roster to get frustrated about. <laughs> it, I'm not. I'm not wrong in saying that that was a result that wasn't a result of the pandemic right this this world cup was always going to be winter 2022 is that correct or it was not because of the pandemic it was decided i think 3 or 4 years into planning it that it was moving to the winter so yeah that was not changed okay. quickly that was okay. we've known that for years yeah so we can't put another thing on the pandemic is what you're telling me That's that is fine. correct fine all right <laughs> I kind of tend to put the to blame the pandemic for everything that goes sure. wrong. Uh, it just it's kind of my default setting at this point. But um, yeah, a highly contentious uh, couple of days around the country and the the U.S. men's national team roster not to be left out of that. Um, but in in lighter news, the um, the college basketball season started on Monday. Uh, it's now Thursday at one thirty eight. So we're awaiting the you know i think there's one like early game between two teams that i don't remember their names that are is happening right now but otherwise we're still waiting on games for for thursday but uh three days of college basketball action and there's not really a a massive headline to to gravitate towards and talk about but there's things on our minds there's tidbits notes points of interest that we've accrued over the last three days. So it is a 
a college basketball roundtable in the in the purest of sense where there's no there's no real agenda right it would just be if you if you were handed a meeting agenda it would be the point in the meeting agenda where it's just like discussion right yep. like there's no there's <laughs> questions no, concerns right that kind of thing um so we've got questions we've got concerns we've got things to to highlight we've got all of it and we're just going to have a conversation so um josh if if you had four minutes in the elevator, that's the longest elevator ride ever. Um, <laughs> Thirty-seven seconds in the elevator. What is the one? What is the first thing you would tell somebody about the college basketball season thus far? Honestly, if I only had to pick one thing, it's not looking great for the Pac-12, <laughs> and particularly the bottom of the Pac-12 in terms of this conversation we keep having of. Can we get some more depth here? Can this not be so clearly the worst of the high majors, you know, bordering on getting passed by the AAC kind of thing? And can it get closer to the Big East and the Big Ten and the ACC? And then USC shoots 15% from three, loses the rebounding battle by 10 in a loss to Florida Gulf Coast. UC Davis beats Cal for the first time in 34 USC. meetings. I, b- I believe you said UC, UCLA, USC. Yes. Sorry, if I said UCLA. Yes, USC. U- UCLA did just fine. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, wait, wait. Sorry. No. <laughs> I apologize. So California thing's not going great outside of UCLA. And on the bright side, though, Stanford's Michael Jones, Washington State's Justin Powell were both really, really good. If you're looking for something positive. Stanford did not, you know, blow anybody away with their win, but they did get a win. Justin Powell is going to be interesting if he's sort of given the green light and can actually handle that kind of responsibility. But for me, the biggest thing is, you know, you're hoping USC can kind of keep this thing together without your big time recruit that did not get off to a good start. Cal, even Cal was taking care of UC Davis and now they lose to UC Davis at these are the kind of losses that really hurt you come into conference play because all you can then do is beat each other and that doesn't help your resume all that much when your resumes of your opponents are not very impressive as we've seen with this conference and it seems like we're on the same track for that to happen again this season. And at, at points it looks like it, it was going to be worse, right? I mean, Arizona State was on their way to losing. They 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 got hit in the mouth by Tarleton early um, but was able to claw back into it. It could have been, it could have been worse. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't all that far away from being worse. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of to the point where I'm not, a, I'm not really batting an eye at, at the pack right. losing games that, you know, losing by games, losing games that they shouldn't. Um, I'll just continue kind of with that in that, that theme with, I mean, the ACC had two pretty stinker losses too. Um, Louisville, right. Louisville, not supposed to, I mean, that team is, that is, I don't think I've ever seen a program fall from grace faster and harder than Louisville has. Louisville, and I and I tweeted this the other day, Louisville missed two NCAA tournaments. Oh, sorry, sorry. Louisville had two losing seasons before last year since 1945. Two. They're, they're on their way to, to a second straight losing season. I mean, unless something crazy, something unexpected happens they're gonna they're gonna have another losing season and it's probably not going to be anywhere close to 500 um 
it's just a crazy fall from grace for a Louisville program that is just it's 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 wild. And then you have Florida State um, lose to um, lose to Stetson. Actually, both of those. I mean the A Sun. I mean the A Sun better than the ACC. I, I really can't. I really can't find anything that that says anything different. Um, and North Carolina tried their best to lose to UNC Wilmington. So um, yeah, not a great start for for every conference out there. Even yeah. though all twenty five top twenty five teams won on opening night, it was uh, those teams kind of. There were some high major teams that that didn't do so hot. Yeah, and some top 25 teams look better than others. We'll get to those in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But also, Louisville, just the fact that you followed up that exhibition game with this, mm-hmm. right? It was the ultimate kind of, you do need to worry when exhibitions go that poorly because things like this can happen. And all of a sudden, Bellarmine is 21 of 43 from the field, 7 of 15 from 3, and 18 to 22 from the free throw line. And you lost again. Yeah, I I don't have I don't have too much to to add other than this is I mean you're really banking on DJ Wagner at this point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're a Louisville fan? I mean, at this point if he just makes it to campus and doesn't decide to go somewhere else, that's a win even if right. he's bad. Even right. if he's bad, right. like that him getting to campus would be a win. Um Bellarmine a uh third year of their division 1 of their division 1 career. Um, good program though. Very quickly good program, becoming yeah. a good program. Yeah, good program for sure. That's uh but but just to add insult to injury. Right. You know, I just said that Louisville, at least since nineteen forty five, has been a division one basketball team. Um Bellerman is on year three and is so not a great look. And maybe the the most you know, you look up, it's like, oh yeah, Louisville's losing to Bellarmine. I'm not exactly I'm not exactly surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly surprised. Um Let's see. Um, let's get let's let's talk real quick about the very first game of the college basketball season um, in the middle of the day on Monday. And let's just let's talk about Baylor and talk about their guards <laughs> um, very quickly. Um, Forty points, sixteen assists between the three between the three guards. Um, Keontae George and Adam Flagler had fifteen of those sixteen assists. Flagler was awesome. Twenty one points, eight assists. Keontae George in the scoring department was not awesome, but a but did a really, really nice job facilitating. Had most of his assists at the, the halfway point. Had like six or seven in the first half, I think. Um, if they're going to distribute... And the last thing, one of the last things I said in our preview series was if there's anything I'm trying to poke holes in when it comes to Baylor, it's who is the guy that is facilitating. And I'm still of the frame of mind that I want a guy who knows it's his job every single night to facilitate. But if those guards can do it by committee in the way that they did last night and Keontae George can, and any of them kind of can take on that role and on the nights that they're not shooting, especially well, um, then, then a lot of those, a lot of those concerns go away, but they very quickly, I mean, it took about two hours into the college basketball season for people to be like, it won't be long before they're being compared to Teague and uh, and Mitchell and and Butler, which is not a bad place to start if you're the Baylor guards. Yeah, I feel like Baylor might be the best team in the country at just completely sucking the hope out of every team that they play in non-conference that they're supposed to beat. Mm-hmm. 
you just look up and oh it's 30 to 14 <laughs> doubling you know? up some poor <laughs> small school from the southeast to right. start the season a tradition it, exactly it's usually central arkansas poor central arkansas yeah. the bear the bears almost always fall victim to this um but um there is no rust no iffiness mm. no we're still figuring some things out and you don't feel great about the way you played but you got the win by 12 no mm-hmm. no 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 that is not how Baylor operates no. um central arkansas bears also i think they there might be an adjective in front of it but they are also the bears it's a bears v bears usually there you go um but um but yeah they made sure that mississippi valley state had absolutely no no um hesitation about whether or not they were in the basketball game (laughs) at the under 12 timeout they made sure that was clear they made sure that was clear um but one of the you know and and there were a lot of teams at the top of the college at the top of the 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 preseason ap standings that that looked that looked good but uh baylor certainly up there yeah and then are you okay if we talk about well i have some good and some bad i have a just a section of top teams i would like to discuss yeah i got a couple things i want to talk about so just throw them yeah. out there i'll let's, respond accordingly let's start with north carolina okay <laughs> and you you texted me during this game so i know you have some thoughts you want to share uh, four assists on 22 field goals Eight turnovers. Now the eight turnovers aren't bad by themselves. The zero point five assist to turnover ratio—that's not so good. Outside of the sixteen offensive rebounds they allowed, lots of good things defensively from a statistical perspective. Now, what that actually means when we get into ACC play, who knows? It's better than being bad defensively, though, because there's another team I'm going to talk about that they weren't—they weren't even good defensively against a bad opponent. So. That's something for a team that needs to be good defensively, and that was kind of the difference last season when they made their run. Mm-hmm. But also for assists and eight turnovers. <laughs> um, that ain't it. I don't no. know what I don't know what needs to be it for UNC this year. I mean, we'll see it at some point, but that wasn't it. Um, like you said, um, two of ten from the three point line. They didn't seem all that interested in shooting threes. Like the guy that was supposed to come in and be the stretch four for them this year played 34 minutes and took three shots. Um, I'm not jumping to conclusions about the inclusion of Pete Nance in the offense. I just have questions. And if your guards aren't going to share the basketball, RJ Davis and Caleb Love had one point. I mean, sorry, one assist, and they took 23 shots between the two of them. Um, Pete Nance is not going to score. Pete Nance is not the... Pete Nance is not the playmaker and the guy with the ball in his hands like Brady Manick was. You need to put him in a pick and pop, you know, penetrate and kick it out to him in the corner, you know, put him in places to be the stretch four because Brady Manick is ju- was just a more dynamic four, stretch four than Pete Nance was. So, so if like their guards need to share the basketball better because that's how they're going to get the spacing that they want with Pete Nance shooting the basketball. Um, and it's not ten- even like Brady Manick was some kind of wizard with the ball in his hands. You know, he was no. also getting right. He he had more of the ability to put it on the floor and make things happen, but he also was getting a lot of his looks off of, you know, screw not necessarily pick and pops, but running off of screens and making guys chase him and mm-hmm. being open on the three point line, which Right, you'd have to get that player the ball. So it's not like he did everything by himself, but certainly Pete Nance falls into a very specific skill set that you need to run an offense around him for him to succeed. 
and and he is not as dynamic as as Brady right. Manic was, which right. is the most which is the most important part of that for me. So he had six points, one of three from the field was went to the free throw line four times. Um two of ten from the three point line. I mentioned that already. Losing the rebounding battle to UNC Wilmington is unacceptable, with all due respect. That's unacceptable. I don't care where the rebound where the splits were. I mean, you should probably rebound defensively better, right? Giving up 16 offensive rebounds is is not a good look. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is that, like, hopefully somebody contributes off the bench. I mean, they got six points, and they those guys were two of five from the field. Um, so that's the that's the only other thing I'll say. I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and right. I picked you know four days ago picked UNC to be a number one seed and. They found a way to get the win, which I which shouldn't be overlooked. I'm not giving them any praise for beating UMC Wilmington at, at home to start the season, but they could have lost that game. Like they, they, they the the opportunity to lose that game was there, and they didn't. So I suppose they get credit for that. But I don't know. At some point, we'll we'll see what it looks like the best of North Carolina. But I know for sure that wasn't it. Yeah. No. But speaking of almost losing. If you're done with North Carolina, can we go to TCU? Yeah, just keep rolling. Keep rolling. <laughs> TCU welcomes Arkansas Pine Bluff, who I think was something like second to last in Ken Palm. Yeah, like three, like 358 or something. Yeah, something, something like that. Like that. I couldn't defend the three-point line to save their lives in the first half, which is very unlike this TCU team. They also didn't shoot the ball well, so they were in a hole. They dug themselves mm-hmm. out of it in the second half, and so with about four to eight somewhere in there between the eight, the under eight timeout, and the under eight, and the under four timeout, I went, "Oh, okay, they've got this thing under control." You know, they weren't winning by ten or anything, but they were slowly. They had taken the lead, were playing much better. It just didn't feel like anything was going to happen, mm-hmm. and then they just couldn't put Arkansas Pine Bluff away, and. This game went down to the final possession, even though it wasn't like it took them the entire second half to claw back into the game. They made their run pretty quickly coming out of halftime and were back with a lead and looking much better and still couldn't really put that finishing touch to go from, you know, leading by five or leading by six to leading by 12 and really putting the game out of reach. Mm-hmm. Again, they did come out with, with the win. I'm not going to overreact too much. And also because it was a, primarily a defensive issue, that also gives me some confidence that can be fixed because I believe in this team's defense. But I mean, uh, they did—they were thirty-nine percent from the field and nineteen percent from the three-point line. It wasn't totally a defensive issue. I yeah, mean, they it, also could—they also could shoot issue, the but, ball. But, yeah. So, but, but the, you, the, I mean, they weren't as good as they needed to be defensively. But the yeah. also them shooting poorly didn't help. Y- yes, and that's the part where, yeah, as somebody who was. Willing to go all in on this team, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon because of one bandwagon because of one bad game. But yeah, that looked an awful lot like a TCU team that hadn't taken the step forward necessary to compete in the Big Twelve. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, I the thing I've kind of not gravitated towards. That's not right. The the right word. The thing I've taken note of in several of these closer games is just how many free throws the high major team shoots. Because the they're just physically overwhelming yep. for the mid major team that they're playing, that it's just 
so hard for the other team to guard them without fouling. Um, like UNC took like some like 30 ish free throws. TCU took 38 in this game. Yep. Um, Mike Miles got to the free throw line 11 times. And like, he's the guy, he's the type of guy, especially like a big physical guard that you're just not getting to come to Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's just not going to happen. Like you're, you're typically going to be very undersized guarding a guy like Mike Miles, who um, is, you know, and he's not huge. He's only six two. He's two hundred pounds, but he's physical and, you know, imposing, and that that is tough for and just talented, of course. Um, yeah. So that that so I've been, I've noticed in a couple of these games, I was like, you know what, that was pretty close. And you know, UNC and TCU are kind of at the top of that list in terms of wow, that team shot a ton of free throws, and thank God they did because if they hadn't, they'd probably lose. Yeah. The other two games I want to throw out there real quick, Arkansas, Nick Smith Jr. obviously didn't play. The other freshman did not look great. Trevin Brazil, Ricky Council, looked really good. And Ricky Council as kind of one of the transfers that nobody was talking about, mm-hmm. went out there and got himself some buckets. If this is sort of the floor for this team is that the, the transfers are able to compete and, and you know, hang in the SEC right away. And of course, Brazil's coming from an SEC school, you know, play at a level that allows you to be at least a top 25 team before your freshmen even get going. That is not a bad place to start when you have a coach that is known for optimizing his team come March, not at this point. Mm -hmm. So if you've got the transfers already clicking in a big way like that, that's a really good sign. And, you know, they didn't have any issues in the game. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't a spectacular display by everybody involved, but some of those transfers were excellent in their debuts. I mean, so there were three guys on this team that took 14 shots and they made nine, six and seven of those shots respectively. Um, They combined for a total of 61 points and no, uh, none of those guys were the freshmen that we've been talking about all off season, right? Jordan Walsh played 18 minutes and was one of one from the field. Um, Anthony Black was one of seven from the field in 30 minutes, um, had seven assists, had three, ste- uh, sorry, seven rebounds and three steals. Productive game, but certainly not in the scoring department. It was, it was Devo Davis. It was Trevon Brazil, um, Ricky Council. Um, I have a big list that I'll get for, uh, that I'll get to kind of at the end of the pod in terms of the guys that I was most impressed by, the guys who kind of had the best nights of, the early season thus far. Um, Ricky Council and Trevon Brazil were both on that list. Um, mm-hmm. And specifically Brazil, like he is for a team as athletic and <laughs> up and down. And he is the perfect big man for a team like this. He's perfect. Yep. He's, he's absolutely perfect. Um, he was three of six from the three point line. He can get out and shoot it. Um, he can be a corner three guy. He runs to the floor really, really well. Um, but both of those guys were on my list to your point um, that the the freshmen were an afterthought and the, the final score would have been something like 76 to 58 if there were no five-star freshmen on the roster. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Which is, which is not a bad place to start. And then you're going to bring the guy back that on a lot of people's NBA draft board is third behind Scoot Henderson and Victor Wimbanyama heading into this season in Nick Smith jr. That's not a bad place to start. Very excited no. about, about the Razorbacks. What's the other game? Finally, uh, Kentucky, I just want to point out that C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves had 42 combined points. Yes. we You talk about where is the, you know, is this team, the supporting cast better than last season? 
what are you going to get to replace your Kellen Grady's and Ty Ty Washington's of the world? Of course, mm-hmm. Antonio Reeves, CJ Frederick, not exactly Ty Ty Washington, much more in the Kellen Grady, especially Frederick is a you know very comparable replacement for Kellen Grady with the way he shoots it. But you're getting that kind of production, even if it doesn't end up turning into, you know, once this thing all gets sorted out and you've got Oscar Sheboy at something hopefully close to full strength, you're not going to need him to score 42 every night. But this mm-hmm. idea that you have these two guys adding to, and, you know, Jacob Toppin also had a good game, adding to what you know you've already brought back from last season is a really promising sign for me that you're going to get what you need. And again, it's one game, so we're speculating based on what we've actually seen here, which is 40 minutes of basketball. But mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons I continue to believe in this Kentucky team and pick them to win the SEC was I, I really thought we were going to see – not that they're going to, again, not that they're going to average 20 a game, but they, they were going to get the production they needed from Frederick and Reeves, and game one, they certainly did. Um, a couple things. Yes, them shooting the basketball is concerning for me as a guy who didn't pick them to win the SEC. Um, the other thing I'll say is that you're kind of, you're kind of, you keep teeing me up. Cason Wallace was also one of the best players I saw ah. the first three days. 15, 9, and 8. Um, he is, I don't even like, he's the best guard on this basketball team, which is if he is actually, if that continues to be the case and I know, right. Wheeler is hurt. He didn't play in this game. Um, but if Wheeler is better, like either way, Wheeler is going to be really solid. If he's better than that, then we really have an issue for other teams in the country. Or if he's just not Wallace is really, really good. Right. And he's right. And, 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 Fair. It's the Howard Bison. With all due respect to the Howard Bison, um, this is what we he, have to go he off look, of. Though he look, he looks physical. He looks under control. Um, he looks confident. Um, seven of eleven from the field, nine assists uh, to just two turnovers. We'll take a four and a half assist to turnover ratio um, from a freshman in his first game, uh, regardless of who it's against. Yep. Um, he he was really impressive. He was really impressive as well. Um, but yeah, Kentucky looked good and, you know, early in the season, the last few, you know, Kentucky's had some stinkers early in the season uh, on, on multiple occasions, the last, you know, half decade or so. Um, but, uh, there was no, there was no, this game was never in doubt. Didn't take very long. They're up 23 at halftime. So, um, he was on my list of guys I was impressed by as well. I just have a couple. Those were my top team thoughts. I okay. don't know if you want to add anything else before we move on. Um, no, I've got. We talked UNC. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time on the schedule, but do you know how many games there have been between high major opponents so far? Would you like to guess? Zero. Um, I was including the AAC. Oh, so that I could put Vanderbilt and Memphis, but the answer is one. One, yes. Okay, that was because that was the game I was thinking of, and I went, "Well, that's not technically a high major matchup." So, so yeah, so right. so that's your best game you've had so far. That is the best game we've had so far, and I am, and and maybe I just don't love college basketball enough, but um, I don't like I don't necessarily need the the first and third teams in the preseason AP poll to play each other in the first three days of the season. But will somebody play somebody? Like, like to be honest with you, if I'm a team that like coming into the season is projected to be a bubble team, I want to play the fourth ranked team in the country immediately out of the gates because 
you get the performance that you got from North Carolina. I don't want to play North Carolina in the middle of February. Why in the world would I want to do that? Um, now, great, or, or even at the end of non-conference, right? Like, I don't like. I want to play teams that I think are going to end up being good as soon as possible, especially teams that are that have like a major shift. And there's not a ton of major shifting in North Carolina, but we've talked about how important Brady Manic was, and Pete Nance is there now. Um, I just, like. I, I guess, and I'm frustrated by it. To be honest with you, like I'm frustrated by it. There's been about three games. I've been really excited about the college basketball season, and I think there have been three games that I've actually been enticed by watching. I've watched more because that's what was there to watch, but um, I'm I'm just I, I'm frustrated by the lack of games that I genuinely want to watch early in the season. And we still have like through the weekend. Well, like we're not we're, we don't really have any of those games over the weekend either. We got um, one. Two. Gonzaga, Gonzaga, Michigan State on the aircraft carrier. Okay, fair. Um. There's Gonzaga, Michigan State on the aircraft carrier, but um, the yeah, point that. the point is is yeah. the same, and um, I like I just like I'm all here for like thank goodness for like Belmont knocking down, you know, thank goodness for buzzer beaters and crazy, you know, Bellarmine Louisville games and Providence somehow pulling another game that they shouldn't have won out of their butt. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. Like, I wish the viewing experience was a little better early in the season. And I also don't understand, like, I don't understand why teams don't use the, while the good teams are still truly figuring out who they are, um, not using that opportunity to maybe sneak in a win that if you played them in on December 17th, um, after they've had a month and a half to play that you, you might not win. That's yeah. I got. I, I won't say anything else, but that's um, those are my two cents on that. The the scheduling of the Champions Classic, I think, is throwing this kind of out of whack too, mm. because that's supposed to be that first marquee event, right? Mm. Where okay, the rest of the slate usually isn't great, but nobody pays attention because we have Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas to talk about. Whether mm. and sometimes Michigan State gets thrown into that category as a preseason top ten team too, you know, depending on the season. Mm-hmm. And so we had that to talk about for a little bit, and then you get something interesting that weekend, and then you're kind of off and running. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that it's that second week, for whatever reason, it yeah, there's kind of there was nothing to replace it, so now it just feels sort of empty until we get to it. We just right. have to wait nine, right. ten days, whatever it is, to to get there. Exactly. Uh, speaking of Providence, yeah, uh, Bryce Hopkins, that's good news. Very good performance. The bad news is Ryder was nine of fourteen from three. You got to, I mean, yes, they won. <laughs> you got to do the basics better than that, though, to replace everything you lost last season, even with the, the talented transfers they brought in. And then the other Big East team I wanted to mention, I had a little Big East section. Not a good sign for Georgetown that Coppin State can play with you while making 13 threes at 34%. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like... They were shooting the lights out. I, looking at this stat sheet, I was sort of trying to figure out why Coppin State was hanging with Georgetown. And in the conclusion I came to is, well, they just made more three-pointers, but it's not like they shot it great. So that's not a good sign for Georgetown. And then the, the only other thing I wanted to talk was Memphis Fandy real quick. Okay. Um, when, it, if you've got more stuff to throw in there. Uh, Big East, we love Manny Bates, 25 and 11. Big time. 
Mm-hmm. We love Manny Bates. The Andre Corbello experience is a freaking movie. <laughs> I mean, within seven, 70 seconds into the season, he had a steal, an assist, a dunk, an and one, and a technical foul. Technical. Yeah. 70 seconds into the season. <laughs> Impressive. Um, and then the last thing I have, we can talk Vandy Memphis real quick, um, but then the last thing I have is just some performances that yeah. I want to spotlight. Let's end with that. Okay. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, really, the, I just have two things I want to say about this game. One, Memphis's offensive ceiling is much higher if Kendrick Davis just continues to attack the paint. He did at the very beginning of the game. Vanderbilt couldn't stop him. Now he didn't get to the basket all that much, but he was, you know, forcing rotations, getting assists, just causing all kinds of chaos by getting to somewhere inside the paint and just messing with Vanderbilt's defense. And then he started shooting the ball and he didn't shoot the ball great. And all of a sudden they were a little bit less dynamic offensively. (laughs) If if that is the basis for their offense and he can continue to be aggressive and not settle for three-pointers, and I know he can hit them, but if if you've got that kind of guard, and again, right, Memphis, we know what we're getting defensively. What is going to determine their ceiling is whether they can get better offensively. And you have a guy, and he showed it in flashes in this game, that can just be unguardable and completely yeah. change the way teams have to defend you. I just wanted to see more of that from him because he kind of got away from it as the game went on and had less of an impact. And the second thing, Jerry Stackhouse is a legitimately good basketball coach. Just the way that they were able to hang in there, the way that they looked fundamentally against a team that's much more talented than them, doing the little things right. Again, this right, you've got some freshmen playing in there, guys who have never had big roles before because you don't have Scottie Pippen Jr. anymore. They're not going to be great, but I continue to, and it's not like I watch Vanderbilt all that, you know, all that much, but when they're in the spotlight in a game like this, I was really impressed with Jerry Stackhouse and just the way he got his team ready and what they were able to put on the floor, even though it, it did come in a defeat. That if you give him the talent, you give him time to develop all of these promising freshmen they now have, I really do think he can do some incredibly good things from a sort of long-term perspective if you stick with him, and it certainly looks like Vanderbilt is going to do that. Uh, there wasn't a single minute played by someone not a senior for Memphis. Um, they, you know, going into another, like props to Penny, first of all, for the first, like they're the, their first two games are on the road, but going in, you know, playing at Vanderbilt, um, I got, I got massive. I mean, you'll be shocked to hear that. I'm, I love that after what I just said about the schedule, um, (laughs) Uh, Alex Lomax is super, it's just a super, I don't know, like him as a college basketball player gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. I don't know how else to describe it, right? 10, 10, 3, and 3, like, and he's been, he's he's so Memphis and he, you know, played in Memphis before and um, then committed to Memphis as Penny was, uh, as Penny became the coach there. So he is, it's just been a cool a, a cool career for Alex Lomax and to see him, you know, double, double 10 and 10 is, is cool. Um, yeah. I, you know, it wasn't the best of performances for Memphis, but they went on the road, got a win and yep. looked like a pretty, like a, a pretty composed basketball team doing it. So that's a pretty good place, a pretty good place to start. And they take on, they play at St. Louis on the 15th. There are some couple weird gaps in, teams schedules also <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean like butler played on monday they don't play again until monday um 
but there's some weird there's some weird gaps that I at least don't remember being there before. But maybe I'm just maybe I'm just misremembering. It's, I'm telling uh, you, it's all messed up because the Champions Classic. You're probably right. Um, anything else before I just throw out a bunch of performances before we get out of here? No, go for it. Okay. Um, the best players I've seen in the first few days. Uh, Villanova's Caleb da- Daniels, um, 24, 10, and 4. It took him like 38 minutes in the game to miss a three-pointer. Um, until until Justin Moore comes back, at least, um, he's yep. going to have to be the guy. Until Cam Whitmore comes Whitmore. back, he's yep. going to have to be the guy. And he looked like a guy who was up for being the guy. <laughs> um, so 24, 10, and 4, and having a guy like that that Kyle Neptune, as a brand-new coach, can lean on is is super important that in that sometimes it's just okay we need to lean, lean on Caleb there and that's a very nice handicap for a, a for a brand new head coach um Jet Howard looks like a playmaking scoring facilitating NBA player already I mean that guy that guy moves like an NBA player and has the size of an NBA player um 21 and 5 um in his first game at Michigan he was super impressive um jump in at any point to to talk about anybody that I that I touch on but he was spectacular he moves and we talked about Jordan Tucker at Butler it never like turned into like overwhelming on court performance mm-hmm. but you could tell that Jordan Tucker moved different than everybody else at Butler he kind of glided yep. in a way that most of them didn't and um Jet seems to to move different and that's at Michigan which is he was impressive yeah uh, it's in terms of trying to actually sort of get this transition from getting the talent that you have in this recruiting class to actually turn that into tangible results on the court, having having your son as the guy to do that probably helps a little bit in terms of that transition and making you know getting your sort of your ideas across and that that gap expanding that gap between high school and college. Mm-hmm. But that's a very a freshman. Those freshmen need to be good, and yeah. so far so good for Michigan. Um, we talked about Kaysen Wallace. We talked about Trevin Brazil, um, 15 at nine and eight for Kaysen, 21 and 12 on three of six from deep for, um, Trevon Brazil. Another big that if he comes back next year is probably like, I'm, I'm almost ready to, to jump on the, he might be the preseason player of the year, uh, at the beginning of next season. That's Coleman Hawkins, 23 and mm. 12 on four yep. of eight from deep. Like if all of these bigs leave, and I mean, not if like when all of these bigs leave, um, like I'm sure there will be some freshmen. Um, but, you know, when you like Marcus Sasser won't be here, Kendrick Davis won't be here. Um, it might be Coleman Hawkins, especially. I mean, and granted, it's game one of the season against a directional school from Illinois. Um, but 23 and 12 on on excuse me, five of eight from deep, excuse me, five of eight from deep. Um he was he was super impressive. Um, so he's on my list as well. There are eleven. There were twelve thirty point performances between eleven players so far. Um, UAB's Jelly Walker shouts to Jelly Walker at thirty eight. Um, UNC, um, what's the A? UNC Asheville. Asheville. Thank you. I was like, you should just write down Asheville when I was writing these things down, and I didn't. Um, uh, Drew Pember had 40 points and nine rebounds in an overtime win, um, and then Cam Tyson from Seattle had 35 points. Do you know who the only college basketball player so far this season to have two 30-point performances is? I'm going to guess, and I'm almost positive it's wrong, but Antoine Davis. No, it is Foster Lawyer. Is it really? That is a phenomenal piece of trivia. 
38 what points in game one, 30 points in game two. He's averaging 34. <laughs> He's 11 of 20 from deep. His brother Fletcher at Purdue and Braden Smith, that was the other thing I wanted to say. Um, they, those guys have been spectacular. But um, And I think Braden Smith might be the next coming of Aaron Kraft. But um, I'm holding Ooh. on to that excitement. He had seven steals in the first game of his career. <laughs> um, but that's all I've got. Anything else? I'm just glad we got Foster Lawyer in there. Me Making too. Making sure we hit the Me important too. stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, but that's all we've got for you today. College basketball season well underway. And we'll be back next week. Thank you so much. Please subscribe subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the TikTok, check out the YouTube, check out all of those fun things. And we'll be back next week for the Champions Classic preview. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.